0: All right. Let's return to Judges chapter eight. Last week, we looked at the brethren, the men that were with Gideon, and they were faint yet pursuing. They were believing the promises of God and walking in faith, looking to Christ, their triumphant Savior, and. The scriptures teach us that Christ, even now, is our king. Men speak of Christ returning and that when he returns, he'll be king. Men speak of making Jesus the king of your heart or the king of your life. But that's not in the power of man to do. And man can do what God himself has already done. He has made Christ the king over all. And so Christ is even now the king over this whole world, over heaven and earth, and all things are subject to him. And he's conquered our foes and secured for us an everlasting inheritance, an everlasting righteousness in him. And we know that that is prepared for us, even now on the other side of Jordan. That work's been done on the other side of Jordan. And he is with the Father seated on the right hand of the Majesty on high, even now, as the mediator between God and his people. He's right there now, interceding for his people, providing for us, caring for us, taking care of us. And that he does till his enemies are made his footstool. Let's see this in Psalm 110. We'll come back to, to Judges, but let's see this. Truth in Psalm one ten, and we're just going to look at the verse, the first three verses, one through three, where our Lord confirms this right now that that Christ is the King. <clears throat> the Lord, verse one, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now watch this. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. The rod, he's ruling right now out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. So right now, he is the king. Just like in where there are kings in, in history and, and in, a, in a land, there's enemies around. There's people that hate them, but they're the one ruling. They are still the king. They're not any less of a king. They are the king. And so he's ruling now in the midst of his enemies. And he says, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. There may be many enemies of the king, but his people are willing, made willing by the grace of God in Christ. Now, today's passage here, it's a reminder to us who believe, to us who have no righteousness of our own, and, and, but we believe the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe that he is the very salvation of God. And it's a reminder to us that as we are here in this flesh, we ever need the grace of God to keep us. We are ever dependent upon his grace and mercy uh, because we go astray. We, this, this old man of flesh is nothing but sin. This old, this old man of flesh is, this body is not yet redeemed. It, it I mean, it will. It, it's going to be transformed. But this body is still left in this, this flesh right now. And we see the works and the effects of sin in this vile nature in Adam. And we wait for Christ's return. Now, we're alive in the new man, the new man of the spirit, which believes and can only believe and cannot sin. The new man cannot not believe all he can do is believe because it's the work of Christ it's it's the creation of Christ that's which is born of Christ's seed he's done this and so by grace we are children of God but we see the weakness of this flesh and the folly of this flesh and that becomes very apparent here in the final verses of Judges chapter 8 and and one thing that we do see here. In this whole book of Judges is every time the judge dies. And judge here means Savior. Every time the Savior that God raised up for the people, every time that Savior dies, the people go right back to idolatry. Immediately, they go right back to idolatry. Well, thankfully, God has provided the Savior, the judge who does not die. He died once and rose again never to die again and so he is the eternal savior which continuously intercedes for and delivers his people from death because we would go right back to idolatry we would go the the way of the wicked and 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 leave our god we would apostatize from our god if it were possible when it's of the flesh that's exactly what we'll do when it's of the flesh that's what we'll do and And we see in this text, we see the works of man's flesh, which comes to nothing. And we see the folly of the Lord's people, but the Lord keeps them. We see his grace for his people here. And so we're thankful for the intercession of our Lord. We're thankful for that grace of our Savior. Now, from verse 28, we know that Midian was subdued. Midian was put down and never raised its head again, never took authority over Israel again. And that's the case with our enemy, the enemies of, of sin and this grave, of, of of death, I should say, of death in this grave, they're put down. Christ has won the victory. He has conquered death and the grave. That's why Paul would say, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory. You've lost your power to hold my people. You have no more power over them. Now, this body is still subject to the law of sin and death. It'll die. It'll go back to the dust and be buried. But when Christ returns, he shall raise up his people again to forever be with the Lord. And so we read in Scripture that speaks of this victory For those who are born again of the grace of God in Christ, those who are born of his seed, we read of this victory where we see in Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. We died with Christ and were raised with Christ when he rose from the dead. That's the first resurrection. And that life of his has been wrought in us through the new birth. We've been born again by the regeneration of the Spirit of God. In us, we are partakers in the first resurrection. On such, the second death. When when the devil and his fallen angels and all the wicked are thrown into the eternal lake of fire, that's the second death, it has no power over us. We've been delivered by our conquering king. But we soon see, as we see in Judges 8 here at the end, that this old man of flesh is still very much an enemy. He's still yet doing his tricks and 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 getting into that which is is sinful. And it's only by the grace of God that we are kept and delivered. Because God is gracious to His people, not because we're perfect, not because we're sinless, and that we've turned it around and 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 do things right now. It's because of Christ. It's for Christ's sake. And we are never to forget. That the salvation of God for his people who are sinners and vile in themselves, it's for Christ's sake. He is the interceder. He makes intercession for us right now. Now, in some respects, Gideon is a wonderful type of Christ. We've seen him as a wonderful type of Christ. And that continues when we look at verses 22 and 23. Let's read these again. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, rule thou over us both thou and thy son and thy son's son also. For thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you, the Lord shall rule over you. And so why do I say that this is a type of Christ? Well, because these men, by their own will, wanted to make Gideon their king. God wasn't making Gideon their king. They wanted to make Gideon their king. And that happened to Christ as well. That happened to Christ as well. There were men who wanted to make Christ their king. And and the Lord Jesus Christ had nothing to do with it. For one thing, man can't make Christ the king because God has already made Christ the king. He is the king. Whether you think he's your king or not, whether you think you're subject to him or not, Christ is the king. But man likes to boast and, and of, of what he does for the Lord. He likes to boast in his decision and what he allows God to do. That's what man thinks he's doing. He thinks he has the power over God. But whenever, wherever the flesh is involved, wherever, whatever man would do, the fickle heart of man would do, it comes to nothing. They wanted Gideon to rule over them and it came to nothing. And so it is that we know the truth of our God that he's the one who who makes his people willing in the day of his power. You that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ don't believe because you've made a decision. You believe because God has been gracious to you to turn your wicked heart to to the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe on him. We would remain in death and darkness. As we saw this morning with the, the, the prodigal son, we would remain in absolute death and darkness, but Christ was sent of the Father to come into the world and to seek that which was lost, his people, precious to him, chosen of God and given to Christ before the foundation of the world. And that we are predestinated unto this mercy. Ephesians 1 verse 4 and 5. And so God saves whom he will according to his election of grace. And in time, when it pleases him, he delivers them from the bondage of death and darkness. From the shackles of of utter corruption in Adam. Giving them his spirit and the spirit through absolute sovereignty of God delivers his people, irresistibly, effectually calling them out of that death. And so when man would make Christ a king, that work is vain and it comes to nothing, except God intervene, (laughs) except God intervene and deliver us from thinking we've done something for God. And we're brought to see, nope, God's done something for me, for me in grace and mercy. Now, let's see what I'm talking about. Turn over in John 6, John verse 6. Uh, John chapter six, verse 15, where we see this type pictured here, where men would make Christ king. When Jesus, therefore, perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And that's really how it is. Man is, is happy to make Christ a king while he's multiplying barley loaves and fishes by the basketful, They like that. They like it when Christ is, is, is just making riches for them and, and feeding them and giving them abundance and taking care of them in that, in that sense in the things of this world, the things that profit this flesh. But what about when the Lord says to his people, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast and give to the poor. And then, you'll, then, then you shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Do men want to follow Christ then? What about when he says, He that taketh not his cross daily and follow me is not worthy to be my disciple. You know, when we first hear that, the natural man is excited. And like those people who, who, who receive the law from the hand of Moses, they said, all that the Lord hath said, we will do it. Sure, absolutely, we'll do everything God says for us to do. But we see over and over and over again that, no, we won't. We are are lawbreakers. We, We cannot fulfill and keep the righteousness of the law. We can't do it. Sure, we can do a few things here and there, but we cannot keep the righteousness of the law and love God perfectly and our neighbors perfectly as the, as the spirit of the law is. We cannot do it because soon enough we either are offended by persecution or the word just is forgotten by us quickly or the cares of this life grow up around us and like weeds, they choke out the word so that we become unprofitable and unfruitful. And so it does not take, it didn't take the Jews very long, right? They were excited for Christ at first, but it didn't take them long before they grew tired of him. And they asked that a murderer and an insurrectionist be released unto them and and that Christ be crucified. What shall I do with, with, with the Son of Man? What shall I do with this one whom you call Christ the King? Crucify him. Crucify him. We're done with him. When when man makes Christ his king by his fleshly decision, it isn't long before his heart hardens, and it being tempted, his heart hardens being tempted, and his carcass falls in the wilderness. That's what happens when man makes Christ the king. But God has made him the king, and when God delivers you from death, it'll be an eternally fixed union between your Savior and you. Now it's not as though we that believe on Christ can do these things that, that the Lord says to us. In fact, we're given to answer him when he says, will you also go away? In our flesh we would, but by the grace of God, we answer him, Lord, to whom shall we go? We, we know that, that you alone have the words of eternal life and that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We're convinced of this, Lord, where else can we go and i realize that it seems contrary to our nature because when we when we read in the scriptures and we hear the exhortations of our lord and we think i should be like this this is what i should be but we see instead the works of this flesh and we see instead what 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 fools we are how easily we fall into all manner of temptation and distractions and adversities. It's contrary to us, but the Lord allows this, lest we should think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but that we would think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And we easily forget the truth of God, and we are prone to wander, but the Lord seeks us out, he finds us, and he'll even provide a thorn in the flesh like he did to to Paul lest we should become puffed up with a big head. And that thorn comes and just pops the the head. And we seek the Lord to remove it. But he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And so while we don't see in ourselves what we ought to see, it humbles us and makes us to cry out to the Lord, have mercy upon me, save me. And so... By the grace of God, we are taught, like Paul, to take pleasure in infirmities and in weaknesses and in and, and disappointments because we see that truth that when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I'm strong, I'm confident in myself and I'm going in my own strength and power. But when I'm weak, my mind is on the Lord and I'm asking him, Lord, save me, have mercy upon me. And that's necessary because back in Judges chapter 8, at the end of the chapter, If you go to the end, we see a picture of apostasy. In verse 33 through 35, we see that many here in Israel were apostates. They turned from God. They wanted to make Gideon a king, and it all came to nothing, and they apostatized from God in the end. It came to pass, verse 33, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again and went a-whoring after Balaam and made Baal-berith their god. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God, who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. Neither showed they kindness to the house of Jerubel, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. And so we see here just how quickly man will turn to idolatry. Gideon dies and they immediately turn to a false god. It's as if they, they couldn't wait for the man whom God had sent them to die and to be done, to be gone, so that they could just get to doing the, the things that they did in the old days, to just have things be the way that, that they were. And so while Gideon was alive, they just were biding their time until they could return to the things of, of death. And they didn't say it, but their heart was saying, we'll not have this man reign over us. Well, we're done with him we're ready to move on and get to our own thing and so they turned to this Baal beeth which means the Lord of the Covenant and and that tells me it had some semblance of of the the true religion that they had received there was some some understanding and in and in, in probably Israel throughout every time that they went astray there was a mixture of of true things and, and and things that were pictures of Christ and, and, and the gospel and what he does for his people and a bunch of flesh and a bunch of of, of lies. And so this should alarm us, and it does alarm us, because we see, wait a minute, <laughs> this people here should not be turning from the Lord and yet they're falling away. And the Lord gives us admonitions and, and exhortations to this point. Telling us things in the scriptures. Things like we read in James one twenty seven, Keep yourselves unspotted from this world. And the apostle John says. Brethren keep yourselves from idols. And, and again Jude says. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Unto eternal life. But while the religionists can do those things. We recognize Lord I can't do those things. That's really the difference. One hears and says, I'll do it. I'll do everything you say. And the other one says, wait, wait a minute. I'm in trouble because I can. I don't have the power myself, of myself and my flesh to do this. But the Lord says this to show us our weakness. And he brings us to cry out, to breathe, Abba, Father. Lord, save me. Have mercy on me. The Lord's showing us that without me, you can do nothing. We hear the word. We want to do that. In the new man, we want to follow the Lord. We want to obey his voice and do what he says, but we don't have the power in, in, in our flesh. And we see how weak we, we are. But the Lord does that to show us that without him, we can do nothing. We're not trying to do it on our own. We're, we're seeking him for his grace and mercy. And he brings us to cry out like that father of of his son who said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. And we're made like Peter who went out to the Lord when he saw him walking on the water doing these miracles. And he said, Lord, I want to come to you. Let me come out to you. And how long before he said, Lord, save me. I'm afraid. (laughs) He became afraid. And he said, I'm starting to sink, Lord. And that's what we do. Anytime we hear the word of the Lord and we're venturing out to just go do it, we're doing it in the strength of our own flesh. But the child of God is made to say, Lord, I need your help. I cannot do it. I need your grace and mercy. And so he does that. He, he brings his child to see, because he's made... He's, when men makes Christ their king, they perish. But when God makes a child, one his child, by Christ the King, they shall live upon him forever. They'll live upon him forever. And by that spirit of adoption, they'll cry, Abba, Father, save me, Lord, save me. Now, what this means is that only a living faith will do for the believer. It's not about puffing up our chest and making bold statements that we'll never do that again. And from here on forward, I'm going to be like this. No, we're not. And it'll be very quickly before we see ourselves fall flat on our face that we're nothing. But we need a living, breathing faith. It's not about you that don't need faith and can stand on your own. That's not what God's looking for. He's, he's calling his people to see their need of Christ, to behold the servant of God whom he has sent, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a walk of faith, ever-looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're weak. That's why the Lord makes us weak and why, why we have thorns in the flesh and why we won't see ourselves as we think we should see because we're constantly being made to see, Lord, I need you. I need your grace. I can't do this on my own. Otherwise, we'll remember not the Lord. And there are times when we do, we get just like that, where we remember not the Lord and we forget all his kindnesses and we fall. And we're brought to nothing. But for the believer, they, they need a living faith. They need a living faith. And so that's what we see here in Gideon, actually. Coming back to, to, you know, after he said, I won't rule over you, the Lord will rule over you. But watch, as soon as he says this, listen to what comes out of his mouth next in verse 24. Back in Judges 8:24, And Gideon said unto them, I would desire this one thing of you that you would give me, every man, the earrings of his prey. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. Now, I don't think, you know, asking for this in and of itself is sinful. It's not bad, but it does become a snare to him. We'll see. And they answered, we will willingly give them. They were happy to do it. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a 1,700 shekels of gold beside ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of of Midian, and beside the chains that were about the camel's neck. Now, 1,700 shekels, I'll just tell you, it's over, in today's value of U.S. dollars, it's over a million dollars, and quite possibly up to $2 million. So Gideon instantly becomes a millionaire. And Gideon, with this money, he made an ephod, thereof, and put it in his city, even in Ophrah, and all Israel went thither a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Now we're not told exactly why Gideon makes this ephod. It wasn't the whole thing of gold because it's like close to 50 pounds of gold. Like I don't think the whole thing was was made of gold, but he used some of that gold to make it, and they don't tell us why he made this. Now an ephod if you're familiar with the Old Testament, was worn by the high priest. The high priest wore an Ephod to consult with God and the umim and the thumim, and, and, and God would, would speak to him as an oracle to answer questions in times of, of need. And Gideon puts this thing in Ophrah, which is in the tribe of Manasseh. But my understanding is that at this time, the tabernacle was in Shiloh, in Shiloh, in Ephraim. And and maybe Gideon didn't want to go there. They had some words before that Gideon spoke roughly to him and maybe he said, you know what? I've sacrificed to the Lord, right? He sacrificed the second bowl to the Lord on the altar that God told him to make and it was consumed with fire. So Gideon's thinking, maybe I can do this thing and I'll just sacrifice to the Lord here in my hometown and I'll just avoid Ephraim altogether. And so maybe, maybe it was for religious purposes, you know, that he could sacrifice unto God himself. Others think maybe he did it as a memorial. Maybe it was just a memorial to remember how the Lord had, by his hand, delivered Israel from the Midianites and, 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 and delivered them from that. But at that time, typically, when they wanted a the memorial, they would just set up a pillar of stones. You know, he could have set something up down there by the, the banks of the Jordan River as a memorial, But in either case, whatever we see here, we we see how easily we can stumble, right? If it's a religious symbol, well, we know the idolatry of our heart. We see how people uh, get into religious things and and think that, that this lifts them up into a holy sense and an awe, right? And they wear crosses or crucifixes or have stained glass or put up steeples and crosses on the walls and things to to remind us, things like that. But religious symbols become a snare. It doesn't matter if they're Christian religious symbols or some other false religious symbols. They become a snare because we we look at them in a superstitious way. And by wearing a cross or, or doing those things, it's not like God's giving us any special grace. There's no sprinkle of grace because you've done you know, that, that you have these religious things. And so it became a, a snare to him. And if it's for a memorial, well, that's also a danger for us when all we do is put so much weight on some past religious experience. When the Lord tells us, we're saved every day. We need the deliverance of God every day to keep me. We have present mercies now that I need. Give us this day our daily bread, Lord, lest I should forget. And, and so we, we put a lot of confidence in, in religious things by nature. We put a lot of confidences in past experiences and, and put too much weight in those things. But the Lord tells us it's a walk of faith. It's not a one-time thing of faith, but a walk of faith. And so, brethren, we see just how easily we would, how we are ensnared by the things of this world, and the things that this world counts as precious. And the Lord says, I don't need those things. I've got that which is precious, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come in him, and you're received by God in Christ, for Christ's sake. Now, what's encouraging in this? We're not going to look at at, uh, the the many wives and the son of, of Gideon today, but what's encouraging in this is that in spite of the faults and the failures of Gideon that are laid out for us here in, in the scripture, Gideon never fell away. The Lord speaks very graciously of, of Gideon. We know he's, he's listed in Hebrews 11, the chapter of faith, so we know that. But even here in this chapter, we see God's testimony of Gideon. Right? When we look at it here in the Old Testament, we think, something's wrong. And this guy, what was he thinking? What was he thinking? And, and when I think like that, I'm reminded, how many times could it be said to me, what was I thinking? What are you thinking, Eric? Just like, like Gideon, it's so true. And so, here, here's the testimony. Look at verse 32, Judges 8:32. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the sepulcher of Joash, his father, in Ophrah of the Abbaezrites. Now, that description, Gideon died in a good old age, that's a description that describes that he died in grace, in grace. Now, the reason why I say that is turn over to Isaiah 65, verse 20. The scriptures here in Isaiah 65, 20 describe those who die in grace. Right. Now it says here he died in a good old age, but look isaiah sixty five twenty there shall, there shall be no more from that time from thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not fuf- that hath not filled his days, for the child shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner, being an hundred years old, shall be accursed. And so we saw when we looked at this a few weeks back, a couple months back, that the meaning here is that even if you die at a young age, an early age, but if you die in grace, you have lived a good old age because you live eternally. You'll never die. You'll never perish. You're not cursed at all just because you died at a young age. There's no such thing for the children of God there's no such thing that, I mean, people might say it, but but where they say, like well, he died too young. He died before his time. Not if he's in the Lord, truly. If he's in the Lord, it's fine. The Lord brought his child home to be with him. There's nothing to be ashamed of that. Those who, who die at an old age in grace, they yet live eternally. They are blessed. They have fulfilled their days. They filled their days But the man who believes not, he might die to 100 years old. We've all seen people and and maybe even known some people, but heard of people that were rebellious sinners who hated God and lived to be 100 years old or longer, you know, and and just did all kinds of uh, abuse to their body and yet lived. And yet that one, right, people would say, well, they were blessed. They had a good long life. Well, if they died outside of grace, they're accursed. Just because they lived a long time means nothing. If if they die outside of Christ, they are cursed and cut off from the true and living God. And so we see just again how ensnared we can be in this flesh. But but Gideon, whenever it was that Gideon died, he died in grace. He died in grace is the point. God had mercy on him in spite of this folly, in spite of this snare, in spite of his... His, his foolishness in, in setting up this ephod. And, and it just shows us. It, it's not to give us permission and license to sin. But we see the grace of God in him. That in spite of us. It's not what we do or don't do. It's not my decision or what I don't do. I mean, the Lord brings all his people to, to call upon the name of Christ. You're going, you, if you're his, you're going to call on him. You're going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to trust him for all your righteousness. That's our hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the other things that are seen and witnessed, that's no testimony necessarily. The Lord will produce fruit. He'll bring fruit. But that's not our salvation. Our salvation is the blood of Christ. That's what he's done for us. And that's what the Lord shows us, that he saved them. And so in spite of our failures and shortcomings, you know, when we look in the Old Testament, (laughs) and you can see this when you read Hebrews 11, but when you look at these men and women described in the Old Testament, the Lord is very honest and shines a light on their, their folly, their sin, their shortcoming. I mean, look at David. It, it's, it, it really lays out what a, how sinful we are. And yet, these men and women are described in Hebrews 11 as faithful believers, people who walked in faith. And so you see the ugliness described in the Old Testament. That's true. Under the law, we are sinners. But in Christ, we are, are blessed and, and children of God and received of him and die in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when Christ separates the sheep from the goats in Matthew 25, it says, Then shall the righteous answer and say, When, Lord, when? When did we see thee and hungered and feed thee? When did we see thee thirsty and give thee to drink? When did we see you naked and, and, and clothe thee? When did we see you in jail?'" or sick, and come and, and visit you. When do we do these things, Lord? And he said, as much as you've done these things unto the least one of my brethren, one of the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. And so the Lord, he He knows exactly what he's doing. He's able to save his people, deliver them to the uttermost. And yeah, we see the stink and the filth of this flesh. And we're always going to be see it because we see it, and the Lord uses it to keep us humble, and to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but that we would continue to look to Christ, continue to breathe, Abba, Father, save me. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Lord, save me. I'm afraid. I'm sinking. And the Lord does that for your good, for your good, because when you're weak, then are you strong. And so I pray that that Closing verses there in uh, Judges 8, you see the gospel there. You see the grace of your God to care for you in Christ. Amen.